Welcome back to the Infinite Gain Podcast. This is episode two of my interview with Ben Kuyper. Hop in as we're talking about diet, the gym, entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Nick Hilkuria. Enjoy. Most of these guys never actually eat a lot because I've this is my experience. Yeah, there's no, that's four to true. five people who have said, Man, I eat so much, and then I'll go and have a meal with them, and I'm finishing half their plate. Yeah. And I'm not even bulking, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, dude, you don't eat anything. No, I was thinking that too. A lot of people say they they eat a lot, and they don't at all. And also vice versa. There are a lot of people who say, oh, I don't even eat that much, but I'm 300 pounds. <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, I don't think that's possible. It's not. Yeah. I mean, people, I don't know, people make excuses like it's just genetics or whatever, but it's like, and obviously that can influence it, like your like leptin or, or ghrelin levels, your tendency, you know, towards hunger or things like that. But it's like, at the end of the day, you can't gain weight unless you're eating more calories than you're burning. 100%. I think something about the fast food and having the whole foods is a huge factor because the food that is out there ready for you, that's cheap, mass available, mass produced, it's chemically engineered to make you hungry. I'm glad you mentioned ghrelin and leptin because these foods, they will spike your ghrelin 20 to 30 minutes we should say what that is for the people right ghrelin is what neurologically it's what signals to your what your brain sends to your stomach and that's what makes you feel hungry and then leptin is what makes you feel full so when you have a real meal of natural ingredients your ghrelin subsides and your leptin increases and it makes you feel full and then when you have mcdonald's or a bunch of sugar or uh you know any of this any of the stuff that when you look at the ingredients list looks like a sci- science experiment you know it looks like it should have been in chernobyl it, it, that is the stuff that your hunger does not respond correctly to it you're going to be going on these huge spikes and then these huge crashes and it it's engineered that way to get you to buy more to eat more to get you addicted so eating the natural whole foods, eating the stuff with one or two ingredients that you know what they are and you don't need a dictionary or an encyclopedia to decipher what is going on in the food, it you're naturally just not going to be as hungry. Yeah. Yeah, and also, I mean, who knows what all those things do that, that you're eating. I mean, there's too many to like – nobody could know all those ingredients that are in a lot of those foods. And I mean, the ones that – we do know, I mean, just look at, at the kind of stuff that like vegetable oil can do. It's, I mean, I did a whole research project on it, but basically um, it's much more easily oxidizable than other forms of fats. So it releases uh, free radicals and okay, basically explain that for someone who has no idea what that means. Oxidation okay. and free radicals. Or... Okay. Polyunsaturated fats like vegetable oil or canola oil, soybean oil, things like that, they're much more easily oxidizable, which means basically it changes the structure of the fat due to reactions with oxygen that can be accelerated with exposure to like heat and light and stuff like that, which is another thing because 
the whole process of how they make vegetable oils increases this oxidation, which can be really bad because it releases, when you eat it, it releases things called free radicals in your body, which uh, damage the cells and can do a lot of uh, harm, whether it's increasing the chances of cancer or uh, a lot of other problems. I mean, we've seen as you, as the consumption of vegetable oils has increased, so has obesity in the United States. And there's, there's a very strong correlation between the amount of vegetable oils in the American diet and the amount of obesity in the country. Do you know, do vegetable oils have a correlation with damaging your gut microbiome? Um, that's a good question. I'm not sure about the answer, but I would not be surprised at all okay. if they did. This is going to be anecdotal bro science, but whenever I do have food that's cooked in canola oil or any other vegetable oil, my st I'm farting. Dude, it, it is disgusting. You know, I'm stinking up the place. Yeah. So I can say that that shit does not make me feel good. And, you know, I didn't need to know anything about oxidation or free radicals or any of that stuff. That's all great. I appreciate you saying that, but I just off the bat, I know it's not going to make me feel good. Yeah. I mean, and when you look at what this stuff actually is, I think the first big like seed oil that was used in the United States was cotton seed oil. And the way that came about was after the invention of the cotton gin, there basically cotton seed oil was a byproduct of that whole process. I think they either threw it away or used it as lamp oil. What? Yeah. And then some businessman thought maybe it's a good idea to feed this to people because they could make it look like um, lard, basically. So they they thought, oh, why don't why don't we give this to people to cook with? Um, because they could make a lot of money off of it. So that's what they did. And that's what they do with all of these other, um, you know, other vegetable oils. And they're all basically, you know, like industrial lubricants or like weird. <laughs> it's it's like weird stuff like that. Or like you're you're literally eating lamp oil. Have you heard about what it takes to make canola oil? I, I've seen videos of it. Yeah, it's and it's absolutely disgusting. insane. Yeah. It, it like just okay look at this picture right here this looks like tar yeah it's like a pipe and there's well it, honestly it looks like a mix between candle wax and vomit and a sewer <laughs> and a sewer yeah. <laughs> it looks like there's like corn in there yeah. um, there's like the in the caverns you know how like the rocks will grow down oh yeah like exactly. icicles like it it looks weird dude because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, if if you you want the most bro science explanation why you should not have canola oil. It comes from the rape seed. So yeah. this is what I like to say. It's raping your insides. I mean, if you look on some labels, they call it rapeseed oil. Yeah. Yeah. It, absolutely disgusting. It's not good for you. But yeah, that's like you were talking about the whole process. They, they put this through an entire process of like heating and cooling and deodorizing and like bleaching and all kinds of stuff. And through this process, it causes a lot more oxidation, which can make it even worse for you. Okay. Um, Wait, hold on. I have to interrupt you. Read this. Check this. Okay. This is about canola oil. The oil has many non-food uses and like soybean oil, often used interchangeably with non-renewable 
petroleum-based oils in products including industrial lubricants, biodiesel, candles, lipsticks, newspaper inks. Yeah, I, like what? I'm not. I'm not surprised at all. I said industrial lubricant. Yeah, dude, I got that one. We're exactly. eating fucking industrial lubricants. Yeah, but um, yeah, I would rather just be eating butter where they just take milk and shake it a lot, and then you eat. Yeah, you eat the you know they take the cream and churn it and like hundred percent, dude. You know better than whatever they they do with with canola oil. Yeah. When it comes to oils. Think about how the oil is made. So like you said, butter, milk, churn, cream, boom, fat. All right, let's talk about avocado oil. How do they make that? The avocado oil is literally in the flesh of the fruit. They just smash the avocado until it becomes an oil, you know? It's like you can tell based on what it is. Avocado is a very like fatty plant and you can tell that just by, by looking at it or eating it. Yeah. I mean... When you have, I don't even know what a, a canola seed, rape seed looks like. like <laughs> Let's I mean, actually check. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, like soybeans, I don't know. And vegetable oil, who knows what they put in there. Like, I think they, they make a lot of it out of like the oil palm tree or something like that. Do you want to be a soy boy is the point. Exactly. Uh, do you, I mean, drinking soy milk lattes and like terrible, whatever. terrible. Exactly. For anyone who's a male, having soy is going to greatly increase your chances of developing gynocomastia, <laughs> yeah. which if you don't know what that means, those are man boobs. Yeah. All right. Exactly. And you don't want those. It just, yeah. I mean, and I'm sure um, that... Seed oils, vegetable oils would do the same thing because this was part of the research project I did on it. But the the effect that these oxidized oils have on your hormones is completely ridiculous. Like if you look into the studies, it's like clearly shown that there's a really strong correlation between increased consumption of polyunsaturated fats and decreased testosterone. Now, I'm not sure how that would affect uh, estrogen levels. Well, we know for a fact that soy soy increases your estrogen. Yeah. So well, if because we, the isoflavonoids in the soy, it's like basically plant estrogens. That of course. You're eating. Yeah. Yeah. Phytoestrogens. You don't want those. Let's do. Let's talk about artificial sweeteners first, because I feel like this is a. a it, they're the same. It's an adjacent topic. Yeah. Kind of similar. Effects. I'd have to say I'm not super familiar. With uh, the uh, the effects of artificial sweeteners, I try not to eat them because, I mean, I don't have a problem eating, like, sugar or honey or, or any other kind of, you know, natural sweetener like that. But uh, I don't know. Tell me about it because okay, I'm not so super familiar with it. i definitely not a scientist. I don't have all the terms like you. But I did watch a TED Talk recently where they were – talking about what is the best diet for humans and the hypothesis was that there is no best diet there is simply individual diets that everyone responds differently to and they were researching this because we have all this 
data and information about what is ideal for each certain body type. So why are the rates of diabetes, heart disease, cardiovascular, I think it was the same thing, cardiovascular disease, uh, so high in the United States? And then they looked into the vegetable oils, which we already discussed, yeah. and then artificial sweeteners. So in a study conducted on rats, once they introduced artificial sweeteners into the rat's diet, they developed diabetes immediately. It was the craziest thing or diabetes-like symptoms and which eventually converted into full-scale diabetes. Yeah. And this was simply from adding artificial sweeteners into the diet. And what happened when they removed the artificial sweeteners from the diet? The diabetes was gone. So if you think about why is diabetes and cardiovascular disease so prevalent in the United States, it's probably because this is bro science, but it's probably because there's such high use of vegetable oils, shitty oils, and artificial sweeteners. That's my hypothesis. Yes, I would say that 100%. And also, so many people are totally sedentary. Like, oh, 100%. Working at desk jobs all day, and then when they get home, just sitting in front of the TV and not doing anything. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, is a horrible way to live, for yeah. one. But also, it's like, like I said, it's it's doing a disservice to yourself and for everybody else as well. So. You know what? Going on the sedentary lifestyle, it so we all know that it promotes this hunched over posture, your upper back and spine, your neck is rounded, like curved forward, your tuck chin. Yeah. So recently I've introduced neck training into my gym routine. I'm doing neck like three to four times a yeah. week. Holy shit. I've done that before. Oh also. my God. My posture yeah. has become next level. I'm like standing up tall. I've noticed that like I'm getting like looks from people, right? Because <laughs> the the tall neck standing yeah. up straight, it, well, it naturally are... pulls your shoulders back. And you don't have to think about pulling yeah. your shoulders back and down because it pulls it down. And then it signifies – Hey, I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. I'm standing I mean, tall. Yeah, you can tell definitely. You can tell by looking at them, at, at people. Like, you definitely traits about someone like that. Like, you can tell, you know, they have something going for them or not just based on their posture or. 100%. Yeah. Dude, even like just looks from girls. It's crazy. Difference. Fucking standing up straight, get more looks. Like, yeah. Because you, it signals confidence. I mean, there are so many people who have terrible posture. Like yeah. most people do. I've started to notice it now. And I think a lot of it is like from being sedentary, from sitting at a desk all the time. And like, even if you have a job where you're at a desk a lot, like get in some, you know, train your back, do some rows, train your rear delts. And like you're saying, neck. train your neck. Yeah, exactly. And I've done a lot of that because I've done MMA and jujitsu. Obviously, that's really important. And, of course, a lot of boxers do it too, wrestlers. Like, if you're getting punched in the face, you don't have a weak neck. Yeah, dude. Yeah. And think about it like this. This is the way that convinced me to start training my neck. If I am training my lower body and I'm training my upper body, I'm getting my lumbar spine and I'm getting my thoracic spine. I'm training those two parts through my rows, through my deadlifts through my RDLs, through every other back movement. 
But then what happens for the cervical spine? There's no movement that's actually training it. Yeah. So you're actually training an imbalance in your neck. Yeah. And your spine is developed. It is naturally evolved to function as one unit. Yes, there are three sections, but they work synergistically and symbiotically to have optimal spine function. So if you're training your thoracic and you're training your lumbar, thoracic be- meaning your mid-back and your lumbar being your lower back, you should be training your neck or your cervical spine. That that was the nail in the coffin. I was like, I'm training neck all the time and I'm making sure I'm balanced just purely for injury prevention. And I've noticed a difference. Like yeah. My shoulder problems are, yes, I still have them, but me having my neck supporting my head and now it takes some of the tension off my traps and my shoulder is starting to feel better. Well, you're also a lot less likely to get a concussion mm-hmm. if you have a strong neck. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's definitely good with injury prevention. And also, I mean, if you do any kind of combat sports like um, wrestling, stuff like that, it's super important because... Um, I mean, I could get into all this like super detailed. Please do. But like, <laughs> um, a lot of it, a lot of this like head position in wrestling is really important. Basically, um, you can get a, a dominant position using you, you have different points of points of contact. Let me start with that. So first, it's your hands basically are going to touch first, and then after that, or sorry, um, head is actually going to touch first, then hands. Um, so your head is basically like your first line of defense and, um, you can use the positioning of your head, your hands, your hips to, you know, make sure you have the dominant position. And I've never done pure wrestling, but I've done a lot of, uh, mixed martial arts. And obviously that's a big portion of it. So training, training your neck is super important for that, for all aspects of it, whether it's, you know, the striking aspect, wrestling, jujitsu, you name it. It's like any kind of combat sport. Even when you look at football or rugby, I mean, all these people are training their necks. Yeah. And thinking about football, I don't know how heavy a football helmet is. Let's see. Football helmet, average weight. Okay, so a football helmet is four pounds. Heavier than I expected. Yeah, four pounds. (laughs) And your head's already 10 to 20 pounds, wherever it is in that range. So you're carrying an additional 20 to 40% on your head and your neck has to support that. Not to mention you're in a high collision sport where every play has the potential to be worse than a car crash. Having a strong neck is super beneficial, especially when a game can be three to four hours long. You have your helmet on the whole time. Depending on who your coach is, they're not going to let you take your helmet off on the sideline. Yeah. So being able to support that, it makes your life easier, but it also allows you to perform at a higher level because your neck is not going to fatigue. And even if you don't notice it, as your neck fatigues, your overall full body performance will decline because the spine is what controls your nervous system or the nervous system is in the spine. Yeah. And I would also say, I mean, from a much more superficial standpoint, if you have a good physique and you have a really skinny neck, 
that's it, it looks weird and you it's look like a bozo. definitely noticeable yeah <laughs> exactly so it's definitely something that you shouldn't forget about <laughs> having a small neck is the upper body equivalent to having small calves yeah basically <laughs> and it's really noticeable it since really... it's like right by your face <laughs> this is something this guy i used to watch his youtube channel will used to be called alpha destiny oh i yeah i watched him too <laughs> and his program would be naturally enhanced and the main philosophy behind naturally enhanced was have a big neck, have big traps, big traps and yeah. big shoulders. Yeah. And as a natural athlete, you will look bigger. It will give off the appearance that you are enhanced to the untrained eye simply because the yoke muscles or his the neck and traps make you stand out so much. Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah. So you want to look yoked. You want to look jacked. Get a strong neck, strong shoulders strong traps and yeah it's a beautiful thing yeah i mean i've always gone for you know i mean working out obviously i've gone for performance and as far as the physique goes like i've never tried to be one of those people who you know wants to be super lean all the time um i'd rather just stay like probably usually around 15 percent body fat maybe a little bit higher um, just because I feel like that's natural for me and that's where I perform the best. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd rather be able to be at a healthy weight where I can gain muscle faster than, you know, shred down just so I can get a six pack. And honestly, who even cares about that? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's depends on your girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I still have visible abs, but it's like not shredded, shredded, but it's like, I'm the same way. Yeah. Exactly. But it's like, I don't need to be like, you know, look, look like washboard, suit, like zero fat, whatever. Yeah. You know, you don't even feel good anyway. Yeah. It's hard. You don't, your lifts aren't as good. You don't Plus, get as good pumps. You don't look as big when you're wearing clothes. You look tiny. Yeah. It's great if you're at the beach and you're all with your shirt off every day, but still, even then, I, the philosophy I use is, okay, I wake up in the morning. First, do I feel good? Okay, if I feel good, that's my number one. I check that box. And then two, I go in the mirror and I say, okay, am I happy with the way I look? If A, I feel good and I'm happy with the way I look, obviously body dysmorphia being accounted for, you're never always going to be super happy with, like you're never going to be 100% content if you're in this game. But do I feel good? Am I happy? If both those answers yeah. are yes, then hell yeah, I'm well, doing something right. That's a good way to look at it. You know, you can feel good and be happy while at the same time, no, I can be better than this. Of and I think that's that's a good way to look at it because I wouldn't want to be complacent. You know, I still feel good about the way I look and the way I can perform, but I know that I can always be better. So why not keep trying, you know? Um, I mean, a lot of guys, I feel like our age, a lot of people in general, just think, oh, well, they're young. You know, it's just a time to go out and party and have fun and stuff like that. But it's like now is the most important time for you to be working on yourself and improving yourself. Right. Because, yeah. dude, we have the most energy to do so. Exactly. Right. And, I mean, it compounds the more you do it. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you start when you're 18 and work on it, by the time you're 40, the growth is going to be exponential. 
right. as opposed to somebody starting like starting halfway let's say they start at 30 versus 20 by the time both of them are 40 one isn't going to be twice as far as the other it's like exponential growth exactly you know the more you work on yourself the easier it is to to improve yeah and for me if i want to do something that i enjoy as a job i need to start now which is why I started this podcast. Yeah, exactly. It might take me five, six, seven, ten years to have any audience, but every time I record an hour-long podcast, that's an, another hour that I spent getting experience and getting better. Yeah. For you, you, you're starting your first business as an entrepreneur. This might not be the business that works out. The second or third business might not work out, but every time you're gaining your entrepreneurial skills – and the businesses that you start are working on your own personal growth. Yeah. Well, and I'd say I I started this earlier than most people would. But even at this point, I wish I had started it earlier. Because if I had started it a few years ago, I could have been doing this for a full-time job. And I would have loved to just work for myself full-time straight out of college. You know, that would have been amazing just to you know build something up for yourself and you know you get to make the calls and you get to keep 100% of what you earn aside from taxes and everything but you're not you know when you work as let's say a personal trainer at a gym they're taking about 50% of the revenue that you bring in whereas if you work for yourself your own business whether it's running a freelance personal training business or whether it's any kind of business, you're keeping 100% of the money that you bring in after taxes. And, um, you know, you can either keep that for yourself or reinvest it into that business. But my goal is is to have multiple businesses, uh, hopefully soon in the future, because if you really you know, want to make good money, most people by making a lot of money, they're not making it just alone by themselves. They're making it because they have people working for them. Right. So I have a question for you, though. You said multiple businesses and you said soon. Now, do you think it's more valuable for you to put all your time and energy into your bespoke men's brand or going the multiple businesses route? Because you could you only have so much attention and if yeah. you fragment it by becoming the CEO of two companies, are you doing either of those companies justice? Well, I'm going to say when I say soon, I'm speaking relatively. So what my goal would be to do is get one business up and running and essentially get it into a position where it can run on its own. And I'm basically just supervising it. Okay. And at that point, once it's stable and I feel good about that, then I would go into my next venture. Okay. Yeah. Even at that point, well, obviously, we don't know how the business is going to work out. But theoretically, you've gotten to the point where it's stable. Let's say you're making a million dollars in take home, right? Yeah. You're pulling in around like eighty dollars to $100,000 a month for your own personal income, the dividends you're taking out of the business. So do you try and drive that business to three, five, then $10 million a month? Or do you 
build another company up from the ground up and take five years just to get it to a million a year again. That's um, that's a, a tough thing to think about. I think it would be a hard call to make at this point. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> hypothetically. Yeah, hypothetically. Um, depends on, obviously, I'd have to come up with more. I mean, I have some ideas in the works, but I have one idea that I'm really working on right now. So if I have another idea that I feel even more passionately about, then I think I'd invest into that. But I guess I'd have to, you know, weigh the different things. Think about what I feel like would be, could be more successful and which I even personally just enjoy more when I'm thinking about, you know, where to invest my time and money. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends. Is is it the passion for the thing that drives you? Is it the desire to make as much money as possible, a combination, or is it simply trying to move as far away from not from having zero money? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I as much as I like money, I wouldn't want to get too caught up in just doing this for the money. I want to actually, you know, I want to do something positive and make something that's actually good, you know, provide something good for people while at the same time being able to build up myself, being able to build up my brand and along with finances as well. But um, I, it's, I'd say you have to weigh a bunch of different things. I definitely wouldn't want to. I think anybody when they take money as the primary source of motivation isn't really going to end up well. You know, I don't think I don't think that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Dependent upon circumstances. I and this is not original, but I've heard that those who have lived such an extremely painful life because of lack of money, that pain of not having money, the pain that their life was, is enough motivation to drive them to long-term material success. I, I can understand that, but I would argue that that's more than just the money that they want because they've, they've dealt with a lot because of a lack of money and it's really, you know, solving that situation that they've been in and going above and beyond where they came from, which I guess, yeah, it's about money, but I would say it's a little bit more than just... It's a little deeper. Yeah. It's exactly. not purely being, we live in a material society and I want to obtain the most material possessions as possible, which typically when you are going for material stuff and your goal is to simply show other people that you have material uh, possessions. It's a sign of insecurity. Yeah. And I, I've had this epiphany literally two days ago because I was talking with this guy who a, he was speaking really, really fast and he kept on talking about all the things that he had and his, his super success with women and how smooth he was. It was really fast that we saw he wasn't smooth with women. Yeah. But I bet it, yeah. his, his boasting and what he was saying, it signaled that, you know, confident, successful guy. Yeah. But reading his body language, it was screaming insecurity. Oh, you can, 
definitely tell. It's really easy to tell. Honestly, I feel like you can tell just by looking at people's faces yeah. with a lot of this stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, I would say one thing about that because I love nice things. I want to be able to get, you know, whatever car I want or anything like that. But I'm not going to sit here and brag about, oh, I have this, I have that, and I'm good because of, like, what I own, you know? I, I think that's completely ridiculous. I want to be, you know, I, I like I said before, I don't want to, I don't want to settle for being mediocre, whether that's in physicality, you know, strength, whether that's in, you know, physical confrontation, which is why I train in combat sports, whether that's in business, whether that's in anything, because, you know, you only get one chance at life. Why not try to be the best in every area you can be? And, um, I mean, I, I think there's nothing wrong with liking material things, but I think that comes after everything else. So once you have, you know, your, uh, physical strength, uh, ability to, you know, uh, have physical confrontation and, and win a lot with a lot of that comes con confidence, because if you know that, other people can't threaten you as easily. It makes you more confident person. So when you're strong physically, when you're strong mentally, emotionally, all these areas, um, I think all of that comes first. Because, I mean, if you see, like, Mark Zuckerberg, let's say, he's rich. But when I look at him, I still think that guy's a loser. <laughs> like, I don't want to hang out with someone like that. He's, yeah, he has a lot of money, but he's still a rich loser. Like I want it basically money just amplifies who you are. You know, if you're, if you're, you're a loser and then you get money, you're still a loser. But if you're like a cool guy who has a lot going for him and then you get money after that, then it just amplifies the person you already are. Yeah. I do want to put in there though. Genius. Smart guy. Really, yeah. really smart guy. He's a smart guy. Super but genius. Like, Maybe kind of weird. Still dressed like a tech nerd. <laughs> exactly. That's fine, you know. But, okay. Like, do you? Also, bro. I think there are a lot of real moral issues with uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. Okay. We yeah. don't. We don't need to delve into that. <laughs> yeah. I have one last question for you, Ben, and that is, what does self improvement mean to you? Self improvement. I think at the basic at the most basic level of self-improvement it's going to be physical self-improvement and what that has to be it has to be some kind of strength training and i think it also has to be for all men it has to be some kind of combat sports whether it's you know mixed martial arts um kickboxing jujitsu even like you know, football or rugby, basically, like combat sports. But I think it's super important to be able to, you know, no, be physically strong, but also know how to defend yourself, defend others, um, you know, for the intrinsic reason of being able to defend yourself and others, but also the things that come along with that, like the confidence, like the discipline. You know, nobody wants to go to the gym at six in the morning and get punched in the face, but you do it anyway because you know it's something that you have to do. So it kind of, it, it's it's physical self-improvement, but I think that's the best way to improve yourself in all areas, 
whether it's discipline, whether it's mental strength, because then you know you can overcome any kind of difficulty and, you know, get past it no matter how hard it is. Ben, thank you. Thank you, Nikhil. Thank you. That was incredible. I really enjoyed our conversation. It felt just like we were just friends catching up. Exactly. And yeah, that was awesome. So thank you for coming on. I'm incredibly grateful. I really enjoyed deep delving into your brain. And I sure as hell will be restarting re, uh, my journey in jujitsu because that is something that I haven't been on top of as of recently. And I really do think that combat sports are awesome. So this was the Infinite Gain podcast. I'm your host, Nick Hill Kathuria. My guest here, Ben Kuiper. Ben, what is your website for your new brand going to be called again? It's uh, Kuiper Bespoke. So that's K-U-I-P-E-R Bespoke, B-E-S-P-O-K-E.com. So if you guys want custom tailored men's clothing, go to KuiperBespoke.com. Again, many thanks. I'm very grateful for you coming on. I'm your host, Nikhil Katuria. Have a good one.